chapter 28, verse 2, that there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And another uh, passage in John chapter 20 tells us that when, when uh, Mary came uh, to, to the womb, it was, uh, after he's, he's buried, he's in the tomb, and Mary comes, and in and, and verse 12 of John chapter 20, it says that she saw two angels sitting, one at his head, one at his feet, and uh, they, they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? Her answer is, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And then she turns and she sees Jesus. So the, the, again, the angels are present during all of this. We see in, in, in the ascension, in Acts chapter 9, verse 11, the, the disciples have been walking with Jesus some 40 days after the resurrection. Uh, and then he, he ascends, they, they see him ascending, and in verse 10, while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood uh, by them in white apparel. And they, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So they're there at the ascension of, of Jesus. And we are, we're also told, told in the scriptures that he, he, and how many of you know Jesus is coming back? He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we're going to actually talk about that in a minute because that's a part of this text that we read in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that, that he has ta- taken up into heaven. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute. But uh, he's, he's coming back again. Amen? We're, we're celebrating in this month here in, in the West, we're celebrating Christmas, the first Advent. But he, the good news is he's coming again. Maranatha. Amen. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm looking forward to the day that he, he comes with great anticipation. He's coming again. And when he comes, the angels will be present and they will be serving in ministry during that time. The Bible tells us in, uh, that, that the, the angels will be present at his second coming and they will execute judgment. In one passage of scripture, it tells us that in another passage, it says they will separate the righteous from the unrighteous. They will be involved with Christ in judgment in establishing his kingdom on planet Earth. And so we see all throughout the ministry of Jesus that the angels are ministering uh, right along with him. They are serving the purposes of God and they are serving the purposes of God towards the end of salvation, God's plan for salvation uh, the salvation of mankind. So we, we see them present throughout the life and ministry of Jesus. Let, let's talk for a minute about the nature of angels. What is the purpose of angels? I believe that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, it tells us, uh, it gives us great insight. What, what, what is the purpose uh, of angels? Why, why were angels created? And they are created beings. Uh, the, the Bible tells us in many instances that they were created in time. They were created in time. Sometime during the creation, God created the angels. How many of you know that Lucifer was created on a day? Right? That's what Ezekiel tells us. On the day that you, on the Yom, 24-hour period that you were created. He wasn't created in eternity. He was created in time. And in Genesis chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and the host thereof. They were a part of creation. The angelic beings were a part of creation. There are many, many indications of that. In scripture, they're created beings. Why were they created? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 tells us they were created to be ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Right? Who is that? That's you and me. Right? We are the heirs of salvation. Right? God looked at us 
with desire to save us. That's his plan and his purpose for all of humanity. He desires to save lost humanity. And angels, we need to understand this, were created to be ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. Psalm 91.11 alludes to this. It says, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. We need to understand this, that angels are active more than we can even comprehend, I believe, in our day-to-day life. The Bible makes that very, very clear. His angels are watching over us. He has giving, given his angels charge over us. They are watching for us. They are caring for us. They, I believe that they, they direct our course and help to set our path and to keep us going. And I believe that oftentimes, as it says in Hebrews, that we entertain angels unaware, right? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Uh, my wife was telling me, we were driving down the road one day, she was telling me a story. There was this gentleman that kept showing up at her house, and she thought she was the only one that saw him. And so after seeing him multiple times, she came to the conclusion this man must be an angel. When, when she grew up and went back home to visit her mom and dad one, one, one time here, not too far back, she was talking to her parents about the, that, ma- that man that she thought was an angel, and, she said, and her mom laughs and says, no, that is Mr. So-and-so. We, we saw him too. We saw him too. But how unwittingly, how, how often have we unwittingly entertained angels? Not even aware of it. That's why it says that we should entertain strangers because perhaps we might be unwittingly entertaining angels, right? And the word here is philonexia. Philonexia, to entertain uh, strangers to, and to entertain the angels. The word there for entertain is philonexia. And it means to make strangers friends, right? Here's some motivation for you. How many of you see strangers? I see strangers and strange people every day. We as Christians ought to show ourselves friendly to those people. We ought to exercise this philonexia, making strangers friends. It's, it's, it's hospitality. We are, we are to be a people who are called to hospitality, Right? It's part of the the work that God has called us to do in advancing this kingdom message, right? If you don't connect with strangers, if if you're not hospitable with strangers, the doors will never open for you to share this gospel. So entertain people and be kind to people, regardless of whether they're strangers or strange or not. Be kind to them, entertain them, and show them the goodness of God. Amen? It's a part of our calling. By the way, while we're talking about uh, the nature of angels, I, th- I thought about uh, one of my mentors, David Cook. Uh, and I would never say this about my wife, but, uh, but Brother David said his wife is like an angel. He said she's always up in the air harping about something. I would never say that about Rachel. <laughs> All right, so the nature, the nature of angels. Not jokes about angels, but the nature of angels. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Now, I've rushed through a lot of scripture already. This is going to be one of those messages that would be worthwhile to go back and look at these references, write these references down, study them. Or if you're interested, hey, give me your email on a thing and say, hey, would you send me those notes? I'll send you this outline of this message. and You can have all of these verses printed out where you can study it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. I, want to, I don't want to pass over this one too quickly. It says, for he was not put, uh, he has not put, I'm sorry, the world to come, 
the ages to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels. Who, are they, who, who is that age subject to? We, not the angels, are going to rule and reign in the age to come. That, that's what he's referring to here. He hasn't put that in the charge of the angels, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you have taken care of him? Why did you look at humanity and choose to put them in charge in eternity? We will rule and reign and have dominion with Christ. Why did God look at us and desire for us to rule and reign with him? That's really, that's, that's a quotation of Psalm 8. That's really at the heart. Why, why is God even mindful of us? Why did he consider us? You've made him a little lower than the angels. They're spiritual beings. He's made us earthly, right? He made us a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. That's God's intent for humanity, that we would have dominion on planet Earth. That was his intent when he created us, and that's, going, that, that, that's his intent in his redemption of us, is that we would rule and reign. He's, he's crowned us. He chose to crown us with glory and honor and to set us over the works of his hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But what do we see? We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He humbled himself. And listen, when, when Christ humbled himself he did not become less. He humbled himself and then God exalted him and gave him greater glory. You think about that. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. This is what God has done. This is what God in Christ has done, manifest in the flesh, as it says in, his, in our text today, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. In that manifestation in the flesh, he is made lower than the angels. For what purpose? That he might taste death for us all. All of us are worthy of death because of our sin. But Christ bore our sin and tasted death so that we might be able to experience eternal life. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the glorious message that God has given us to declare. It's a message of hope. It's a message of salvation. Amen? It's a message of restoration back to the God who created us. Amen? From our ruin, from our wickedness, from our rebellion, back to relationship with a loving Father who created us. It's a message of salvation. And Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. He says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. You think about it, the, the gospel that we have today, the prophets of old, the Old Testament prophets desired to see what has been manifest in this age. We have what they longed for. We have what they hoped for. We have what they desired. They inquired and searched carefully and prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what, 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 and what manner of time and the spirit of, that the Spirit of Christ was in them was indicating 
when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was not revealed. I'm sorry, to them, to, I'm sorry, to them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven. And check this out. These are things which angels desire to look into. This grace that we've been made partakers of, this great hope that we have been given, this salvation that we have received, the angels desire to look into these things. They're involved. You think about this. They, they are created to be the, the errand runners of the heirs of salvation. To work and help fulfill the purpose of God in Christ to save humanity. And as they're doing this work, there is in them this desire A longing. They desire to look into this. They're, 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 I believe that the angels stand in amazement. That, and that question, who is man that you are mindful of him? It's a wonder. It's amazing. The angels were the mediators of the Old Testament. In Hebrews, we, we've read a few verses out of Hebrews. I think there's a few more yet in my outline today. But Hebrews tells us a lot about angels and the nature of angels and purpose of angels. And again, they're involved in bringing the heirs of salvation to their inheritance. To attaining what Christ has purchased for us. That's the true work, the true nature of the assignment that these angels have been set upon. They were mediators of the first covenant. But you know who is the mediator of the second covenant? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the mediator of, of that second covenant. And listen to what it says. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. We, we, we sit here week in and week out. I mean, you go home and you watch. A lot of y'all are sending me YouTube videos of the sermons you're watching and listening to. We get to hear this truth on our televisions, on YouTube channels. We sit in Sunday morning services and we hear this glorious gospel preached week in and week out. Listen to the words of this verse. Let, let this just stir us. We, we need to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. At least they drift away. You know, you can sit here every Sunday morning and listen to this message and it just drifts right on by you. We need to give an earnest heed to it. For if the word spoken through angels, the mediator of the first covenant, proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how should we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, this, this new covenant that we have, which is mediated by Jesus, by his blood, by his offering for our sins, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him, right? So there, there's a warning. Take heed to this message, right? 
We, we, we need an earnestness in our spirit towards the gospel that we have received. Right? There, the, there's a danger. There's a danger. What do we have to do to forfeit our salvation? I, I believe Christ died for every human soul. But every day humans die and their souls are eternally separated from the living God. How is it that humanity forfeits the salvation that Jesus died to purchase for them? It, it's, it's simple. The impending tragedy of a forfeited salvation is, is simply brought on by nothing more than neglect. All we have to do to miss this salvation is neglect it. Every one of us in this room have a decision to make. Will we neglect the salvation that has been purchased for us? Or will we receive the free gift of God's grace? So, again, the, the warning, the admonishment, the encouragement to us. Let's take earnest heed to these things that we have heard. So that they do not slip away from us. So that they do not drift. And, and the, the picture here of drifting, it's... Have you ever been out in a boat and drifted and you didn't even realize you were drifting? That, that's the idea here. Right? I, I remember one time we were out at, at this lake and there was this island and we were trying to get out to this island. And we drifted and drifted and drifted. We had to have friends come save us on a boat. But usually when you're drifting, it, it happens. It, 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 it's, not, it's not like a motorboat. You're not jetting across. You're just slowly drifting. And that's, that's the picture here. Slowly drifting from the things of God. How does that happen? Neglect. Indifference. Just neglecting the things that God has entrusted to us. Neglecting. That's why I believe this next point is important. So we, we've looked at the angels. I've got one more verse on the angels. I'm going to save it for the end of this message. I saved the best verse about the angels for last. But let's look at the next point. So we... Two weeks ago, we talked about the fact he's manifest in the flesh. Last week, he was justified by the Spirit. This week, we just covered the fact that, that he was seen by the angels. The next point says that he was proclaimed among the nations. Jesus said, go into the world. This is Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And preach the gospel to every creature. This is God's desire. Jesus Again, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, says, The gospel of the kingdom will be preached <coughs> in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. According to Joshua Project, it's a large Christian research organization, there are approximately 17,200 and 86 unique people groups in the world. 17,286 unique people groups. And that, that means they have a distinct culture, a distinct language. There's something that sets that people group apart. 17,286 distinct people groups. And when we, when we talk about nations, that's literally what we're talking about. People groups. right? Not state nations necessarily like we understand, but people groups. There are seven, over 17,000 people groups. In the world, there are 7,000 today. This is today on planet Earth with internet, with boats and airplanes and all the means of travel that we have today. There are still 7,250 people 
on this planet, 7,250 people groups, I should say, rather, that are considered unreached. In other words, the gospel has had minimal impact within the culture of that people group. It's astounding. That is 42% of the world's population. I, I take literally what Jesus says there, that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every people group, and then he's going to return. I, I want to see Christ return. I long for the day of his return. You know how we can help to hasten that? We need to be active. Listen, it's important that we are involved in reaching our community 100%. A large portion of this church is involved in that week in and week out. I try everywhere that I go. I try to connect with people, build relationships with people, and share the gospel with people. Everywhere that I go in this community, I, I make an attempt to do that. I work to build relationships, and that's vitally important but the church needs to understand we have an onus placed upon us by the scripture to be a people who preach the gospel to the nations. We have to be involved in that. If, if you want to understand that there's a great sermon, we, we had a, a young man named Jacob Mills that was here during our return conference. And he talked about the, the necessity in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? We as a church can, can fulfill that first part. But the last part of that, we have to partner in sending to be able to accomplish that. The early church did it, and God's method has not changed. One of the biggest things that's missing from the Christmas story that needs to be a part of the mission story, the Christmas story, is the mission factor. The Great Commission factor, right? Christ didn't come so we could just sit around the church and sing, come let us adore him. And that, that, that is a great part of what we do. Worship is vital to every single body, and it's a beautiful part of our Christian life. But there is also a dimension of going, of being involved in fulfilling the great commission that is necessary to the Christian life. Right? Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. There's an angel that appears. When does this happen? I don't know the exact time that this angel is doing his work, I, I would just imagine that, it, I know it's in the church age, without doubt. And the way that I, I view, when I look at this, this, this statement about this angel, is that it's active, this is my view, and it, I'm not saying it has to be right, or it is the correct view, but this angel is active throughout the church age. And what, what is this angel about? Revelation chapter 14, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting, everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This is what he's saying. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Right? This angel, this messenger angel, who has an everlasting gospel to preach. And he's going forth with this message. What's the point? He is proclaimed amongst the nations. 
is proclaimed amongst the nations. And here is some great news about that proclamation. It works. The older I get, the longer I see this stuff transpiring in the earth, the more that I understand the gospel of the kingdom works. The more confidence I have in this message that we've been given to preach about Jesus, it works. He is proclaimed among the nations. And then the next statement of this verse, 1 Timothy 3 and 16, he is believed on in the world. From the very first message preached, Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up and preaches the first message. And on that first day of church history, 3,000 believe. 3,000 believe. And I, I, if I would have put every verse in the book of Acts that talked about somebody coming to faith, somebody coming to believe. And by the way, today, is, this message is about the wonder of our faith. But if, if I were to put every message in this, I would have tripled the 52 messages that are in this, this, because there are scripture after scripture after scripture through the book of Acts. I'm not going to give you every one, but in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. 5,000 men, right? And there were probably also women and children who were in this, this, this assembly that came to faith that day, right? Acts 40, uh, 432. It says, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and soul, right? These are believers. Acts 16, verse 31. So they believed on the, and I want to read this passage. This is 31 through 34. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. In other words, his faith, and and this is statistically true. Husbands, men of God, this is why it 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 is vital that you set the course, the spiritual course for your home. It's vital that we as fathers lead our families to the house of God. Statistics show very, very high retention rates for children. They, they, they stay in church. They, they follow Christ throughout their life when their father leads. The numbers drop when it's the mother who leads. right? And they drop even more when there is no spiritual leadership in their home. right? This, this man came to faith in Christ. Another example, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as, come, as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as you have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked them to stay for a few days. 
Go and read. There, there are several themes in the book of Acts, but one of the themes is belief. People coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because there's a message being proclaimed about him. And there are angels executing the purposes of God so that the kingdom of God would be established on planet Earth. This gospel stuff works. If we will declare the word of God, if we will preach scripture, it will work. I have complete confidence. I see an example of it all throughout the book of Acts. You know that today, if you look up the statistics, there are 2.38 billion Christians on planet Earth today. How many of you know he is believed on in the earth? He's believed on in this world. This gospel stuff works. The, the last statement in this confession He was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of the angels, proclaimed to the nations, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. The ascension matters. The glorification of Jesus matters more than we can possibly know. Let's look at a passage of scripture here, Luke 24. Uh, He led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. Verse 51 It came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. This is the ascension of Christ. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. The ascension of Christ matters. I'll give you a couple of reasons. I'm going to give you two today. The number one reason is is the fact that we have an intercessor sitting at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter, uh, what is it, 725. Therefore, look at this, he is able, and this intercession in our salvation, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I thought of this quote, I had to, it was during our worship time, this, this quote from Robert Murray McShane came, came to my mind. And this is what Robert Murray McShane, he was an old Scottish preacher, and this is a statement that he made one time. He said, if, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's able to save us to the uttermost. And he is ever making intercession for us. Isn't that beautiful? And isn't that awesome? That's part of the reason that it matters that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's been glorified there and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Ever making intercession for us, the Bible says. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus, I, I needed to hear that this week. Jesus is praying for you. Anybody else need to hear that today? Jesus is praying for you. How many of you are going through some stuff? How many of you got some, maybe some financial things or whatever? He's praying for you. He's praying for you. Second thing is that it goes to an even deeper dimension. Part of this necessity for him to ascend to the right hand of the Father to be glorified is for the ultimate 
purpose of the gospel. And you know what that is? That we would be indwelt with the spirit of Christ. We talked about that, justified by the spirit, right? It's that same spirit that's on the inside of us that raised Jesus from the grave. That would not be possible if he had not ascended to the right hand of the Father. Acts talks about it. Peter, in his very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, talks about it. He says, this Jesus, God has raised up. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 32, of which we are all witnesses. Verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hands till I make your enemies your footstools, your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, you know what he's doing? Giving gifts to men. We have the glorious Holy Spirit. Not only is Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, we have a spirit, Roman tells us, the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us, that when we have things that we don't even know how to pray, anybody ever been in a situation that you didn't know how to pray? says that we have a spirit that makes intercession for us. Right? We, we can perceive the things of God. Why? Because we've got a decoder on the inside. We've, we've got the revealer. We've got the one who has come to lead us and to guide us in all truth. Amen? And this is ultimately the purpose of the gospel. That we could be people who are indwelt by the spirit of the living God. And there's a day and age where spirit-filled believers, when Christ returns, are going to rule and reign with him forever. Salvation isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not a trip up into the heavenlies so we can drift in the clouds and play harps. It's a call and a commission into a kingdom where Christ will rule forevermore and we will be involved in having dominion over planet earth with him. This is a glorious, glorious gospel. Listen to this. My, my, I saved this verse and I'm, I'm wrapping up. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. One of the best verses about angels in the Bible. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Says Jesus, he says, in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels, the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. Those who were assigned as stewards to be errand runners to the heirs of salvation, the day you got saved, there was rejoicing in their presence. The day I got saved, there was rejoicing in their presence. The angels rejoice at our salvation. They rejoice. So let, let, let's recap here. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, vindicated, justified by the Spirit, 
seen of angels, proclaimed amongst the nations, believed on in all the world, and received up into glory. This is the gospel. This is common confession. Listen, when you forget what it's all about, go back, memorize. I would encourage you, write this on a note card and memorize it. And when you forget what your purpose on planet Earth is, go back and reread this. Confess this. Let this. We need to learn to confess the word of God. There is power in confessing God's word. And because of all of this, because of everything that I've preached over the last three weeks, you know what we need to do? We need to stand unapologetically and unashamed and we need to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1 and 16, the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is power in this message, the power of salvation, the power of life, the power of seeing men restored back to God. There's power in this message that we've been given to preach. May we once again, church, stand in awe of what God has done. Are you amazed that he saved you? Are you amazed at that? I was, I was reading, I, 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 I like to post stuff on social media and all that kind of stuff, and it pops up in your memories. It pops up in your memories. And there was this memory that I had, Brother, Brother Ted Edgel, he's back there on the, the very back row. He, I heard him say this, about, I think it was two years ago. And when he said it, I, I put it on my social media and quoted him, and it just popped up this week in, in the memories. He said, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. Are, is anybody as amazed that God saved me as I am? Is he, are you amazed that he saved you as I am that he saved me? It's amazing. It's amazing. And then he's entrusted us to be stewards of this message of his grace, to be the, the, the angels. The Bible calls us angels. If we're declaring this message, angels, the, those who go about and proclaim this message about Christ. He's called us to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. What a glorious gospel. What a glorious hope that we have. What a glorious God we serve. He's beyond our, our comprehension. Yes and amen. He stands alone as my wife is declaring. Christ and Christ alone stands as our source for all. Amen. You know what we need to do? We need to go and tear down a lot of idols. We've carved a lot of idols. And as long as we've got our idols in our pockets, we can pull them out and we can look at them. And you know what our idols do? They inhibit hinder our ability to stand full on and look him right in the face. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. What a mighty God. What an awesome God. He is kind. He is gracious. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. He wasn't willing that we would perish. He had a lot of patience with me. He had a lot of patience with you. What a good and a mighty God we serve. He could have washed his hands of us, wiped us all out and started over with a new creation. But he loved us. And he said, I've got a plan. I'm going to take their sin upon myself so that I can be in them. This is the gospel. What an amazing thing.
The same spirit that raised that dead body out of a grave now dwells in us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Christ in you, the hope of eternity. Wow. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. If you would, please stand. We interrupted our protocol for service today. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship. We're going to worship. And we're going to stay here and we're going to worship as long as you want to worship. And I'm going to stand down here in this altar and our ministers are going to stand down here in this altar and we're going to pray with people until they quit coming. And we're going to worship Jesus. If you need to be dismissed, you're dismissed now. This is the last opportunity. Not saying it again. We're just going to worship until we're done. If you've got an offering, we didn't pass the plates. There are boxes in the back. Please put your offering. And if there is a great... If there's something that would compel you to put something in the offering, let it be this message. We have a message to get out. That's why we give. We want to see the gospel go forward, period, full stop. Our motive has to be the motive that God had. God so loved the world that he gave. God's motive in giving was love. It's the only motive we can have because we want to see sinners come to know Christ. That's the only motive, period, full stop. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for this message of your grace. I thank you for what you have done for us. When we were unworthy, when we were rebels, you died for us. Thank you for saving us. You didn't spare a thing. Thank you. Father, we stand in awe of you today. We worship you, we honor you, and we magnify you. In Jesus' name, we are going to worship. If you have not tasted of this salvation of our God, what are you waiting for? Let today be your day. If you need to come to relationship with God, if you need the shadow of fear hanging over your, la- your life to be dispelled, there is a refuge. There is a hope, and his name is Jesus. He has come to save us. If you need a salvation, there's an invitation. Come to this altar and give your life to the Lord. Church, let's worship our Savior.